Welcome to the Coach's Plan podcast, Plan to Coach with Coach New Brunswick. I'm Ashley Milani, your host, back for season four. I can't believe it's already been uh, three and a bit seasons since we've started bringing you this podcast. Um, it's been a wild ride, and we are here to help you to try to understand what's going on in the world, what's affecting you as a coach. And uh, today, I'm excited to introduce a panel of community coaches for whom community coaching really is their calling. Uh, some people may feel like, oh, I have to be a performance coach if I want to be considered a good coach. Um, whereas I feel like most of us would understand that really you want those amazing, really talented, knowledgeable coaches in at the grassroots level, because that's where the love of sport starts. And if you want to keep kids in sport longer, that's where you have to give them that good first connection. Um, so we're here today to talk about you know, like really what is it about community coaching and then talk a little bit about the issues that are affecting us uh, within the community coaching level and potentially how we can sort out some solutions around um, around those issues. Um, so welcome to our panelists. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm going to go around our virtual Zoom room and uh, just call on you quickly to do a little introduction about who you are, uh, what do you coach, how long have you been coaching, and we'll just start to get into what brought you into the coaching world. So I think I'll start with Eric. Hi. Yeah, I'm Eric Leger. Uh, I live in Caraquette, New Brunswick, so Northeast. Um, I've been coaching uh, since, two, I'd say, 2010. Uh, it started with cross-country skiing. And obviously, for me, or like many people, it was because my, some of my kids were getting into uh, the sport. And then you just get pulled in, you know, because you, you just show up to bring them there and you stick around then you get a job, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I ended up uh, taking some courses uh, and ended up organizing the, the whole training uh, that we had or the whole program uh, for quite a few years. Uh, in 2016, I started, I took some uh, coaching courses for, uh, it's called Sprockets, so it's for uh, mountain biking. Uh, it was new around here. We actually built the trails to be able to to uh, to receive the Jeux de l'Acadie uh, in Carraget. So we built some trails and then we expanded the, the trail system. We got the Sprockets program going and uh, I've been involved with that since 2016. Um, what made me stick to it? Well, my kids obviously grew out of the, those sports and, uh, I just really enjoyed being around the kids and, uh, I, I, I felt I was gaining as much as them, uh, from a coach or a, an adult perspective. It was really great to very, very rewarding, uh, to be able to give to the community like that. So I, I never thought. Uh, before 2010, I wasn't involved in any, any type of uh, volunteer work. So uh, this, this, this was great, great experience. Thank you for being here. Linda, you next. Yes. Hi, Linda Dalpe. Uh, I'm a retired physician uh, in Kirkhead also. And um, what got me into, into coaching was uh, through... Um, being the president of the Club Plein Air in Caraquet at the time where we were introducing mountain biking through the Jeux de l'Acadie, so building the trails, um, helping to build the trails, and, and then setting up the Sprockets program, and that's how I got involved into coaching uh, the kids. Um, for me, what, what uh, makes it stick for me is... Um, um, having two girls, uh, obviously the challenges of keeping girls in sports and trying to, to find ways to get girls and, uh, teenage girls interested and enjoying and having fun through different kinds of sports. And, and for me, this Rockets program with the mountain biking was introducing a different kind of sport, also an individual sport but that can be really uh, socially interesting for, for girls. How did, how did you become the president of the organization? Somebody called me and said, hey, you'd make a great president. And I've, <laughs> I've always been interested in, you know, in being physically active and the importance for it for me, for, for my life, you know, and, and my, you know, physical activity is great for your health and your mental health. So I was 
already a member of the club and yeah somebody called and I said okay I'm gonna check check into it and then showed up at a meeting and got elected yeah I, <laughs> it's because the, the vice president of the club invited her uh to the uh what's it, the annual meeting that we have there yeah, yeah anyway. and she was nominated and <laughs> she was ambushed <laughs> yeah, so, so it was it was interesting because at the time it was mostly a, a cross-country ski club. So it was only opened in the winter and then we had the mandate to bring the mountain biking into it. So then we sort of got it going really um, a year-round uh, active uh, club. So <laughs> that's cool. how I got into it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Uh, Francesca, I'll pick on you next. Hi, uh, everyone. My name is Francesca Walsh. I'm out of uh, Ormocto, New Brunswick. And uh, so uh, synchronized swimming is my, my sport for community coaching mainly, um, but also did some uh, competitive swimming um, kind of later on. So how did I get into it? I was a synchronized swimmer uh, growing up and then kind of transitioned into a competitive coach for a while and then moved into recreation once I got into the workforce and uh, uh, you know, you didn't have 20 or 30 hours a week to commit to a team. So um, now I'm saying that community sport had a big uh, draw for me. I kind of always wanted to start my own club. So it was really interesting when I got to Ormocto. They didn't have a synchronized swimming club there already. Uh, so it was kind of fun to get to grassroots it and do it kind of my own way uh, with some ideas I wanted, which was really fun. Uh, what made me stick with it? Um, Maybe it was as a kid really saying, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to have my own club someday. So having that goal of being like, this is the way we we're going to do it, or like there was going to be either, either more fun things or more inclusivity, or there were certain things that I really wanted to see happen in a, in a club. Um, and then, and you just have so much fun with the kids. Like you look forward to it. And I find community coaching is like a stress reliever after work sometimes that you go and it is. I, it's just fun. The kids are happy to be there. And then even from a community perspective, I work with uh, adults as well, like for the master swimmers. Uh, people are just are happy. The swimming is fun. People generally like water. <laughs> so it's a, a fun place to be. So as much as I think, hopefully I contribute coaching, I also get a lot for myself because it is very rewarding. Uh, what makes or breaks a community club? I think uh a lot of time you're fighting for resources. Now, whether any difference between competitive vice, uh, a recreation or a community club, you're gonna be looking for lots of different types of resources. I was really lucky in Ormocto starting up that uh, the base had resources that we could tap into for, for community sport. The province has been really good and so has Singro, New Brunswick. Um, yeah, anytime you're trying to start that resources is gonna be a big challenge. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely touch on kind of some of the issues and the challenges of um, keeping clubs going as we have these grandiose ideas and we bring them to life. And then it's like, oh, crap, sometimes like ruling is harder than like the conquering side of it. <laughs> um, Andrea, I'll pass it over to you. All right. Um, so my name is Andrea Creer. I have been coaching for the majority of my life, actually. Now that I think about it, it's pretty weird. Um, I'm in my mid-20s, so that's a big surprising shock factor. Um, but I really got into coaching when I recognized that, like, I really liked who my coaches were, not only as coaches, but as people. And I, through my club, I wanted to be able to give back and kind of try and learn from my coaches and some of their knowledge and stuff. So at about the age of 13 or 14, I started volunteer coaching. And then the minute I could get certified and on deck and, like, kind of be like a contracted coach with my club I was there so at 16 I took my first like coaching course later I realized it was an NCCP course had no idea what it was at the time but I was having fun so moved to Fredericton I'm still coaching um one of my other coaches got me involved so I just all of the coaches in my life have been excited that I've been a coach and have also just kind of asked me to continue coach and pursue like further coaching education so it's been a big part of my life and I realize it's probably more a big part of my life than what I was when I was an athlete so coaching is just my jam now um 
sticking with it. I've just had great head coaches. Like I, I'm not the head of a club. I'm not on any board of the club. I've just, the, the leaders of my club, like with the board and the head coaches, like that's something that's just really made me stick with it and the PD opportunities that they're able to provide. So for instance, we're taking a mental health course coming up in the next little bit um, that we got funding for through a grant. But um, make or break for me for a community club, I think is definitely some of it is leadership uh, within the club on the board level and on like the staffing level with the coaches and the volunteers and stuff like that. So to everyone who's already said they're a part of a board or was a head coach or just like running a program, like kudos to you because you really make it or break it for your volunteers. Yeah. Anytime that coaches can just worry about coaching, it makes everyone's lives so much more simple as I've always found as either a community coach or uh, organizing a program. Um, as soon as the coaches start getting too hard, like too heavy onto the admin side, that's where people start losing interest, losing their joy. I mean, paperwork is the death of us all. Uh, but I, I, Francesca, I totally agree with what you said about like, just like being around a joyful place. And I mean, people like being around the water. People think it's fun to kind of do cool flips in the water and, and different moves, especially um, synchronized swimming, artistic swimming is such like a, um, in my mind, just like a very joyful act of, of expressing your body through movement in the water. Um, I was a, I was a former competitive swimmer too. So I obviously can share that love of the water. I totally sympathize. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, you guys have started to touch on some really interesting points around some of the issues that we start seeing in the club, whether things are making or breaking it. Um, last week, we had a quick little prep call to talk about some of these things. And, and we mentioned that, um, you know, like, especially at the community level, especially in small, small uh, towns um, or in New Brunswick in general, uh, you get people who are part of the community for so long and it's so hard to find volunteers to to replace the work that's being done or even or even just to find enough people to cover off the stuff that's currently being done let's talk a little bit about how you feel that um the volunteerism of the coaches around you affects the programs francesca if you want you can start first yeah, i see your yeah mic's unmuted. so the volunteer piece um for me so up front um i always wanted to make sure they knew how much hours they were committing to it but also if it was possible to get them paid, that was also an upside. Um, but what I tried to do was build on existing programming that already was, was um, at the facility. The benefit of that is when you talk about the administration, whether if they were collecting money that was already being done. So what I mean is, so I built on swimming lessons and I decided to make them synchronized swimming lessons. So then that way the administration was already done for swimming lessons and the coach could just show up. They didn't have to worry about taking money. They didn't have to worry about extra things for suits. They didn't have to worry about insurance. So I was trying to take as much administration off because the facility in a lot of cases was already set up to do these things. We just needed to get them to think outside the box so I could get kind of what I wanted and then, um, yeah, use existing stuff. That's fair. Um Eric, uh, you had been mentioning last time we we chatted that uh, the volunteerism that you've kind of taken on within your club has been very heavy on the organizing side. What what was it about the organizing that drew you in, or how did how did you get kind of the last the the short straw on that one? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I was good at organizing, and once you touch it, you know you 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 just end up with the job, right? It's uh, it, it's something that not a lot of people want to do. Um, I kind of enjoyed it at first, but I, I quickly realized it was a lot of work and um, I was trying to piggyback on the, the local club here uh, because they have a few staff and, and, you know, trying to get them to help us a little bit. But it's uh, it, that, that was a challenge. Um, the challenge with volunteer is uh, what we saw here is that there's a, a fairly big rotation just because parents will volunteer but they also follow their kids uh so you know after three or four years sometimes they, they're done with the program and they move on to a different sport or you know just whatever their whatever is next for their kids um so then you got to look at training new volunteers uh, if they want if you want them to assist you in coaching or even be coaches they need some training there's different types of volunteer work obviously like the organizing part and stuff so 
uh, th there's a lot of rotation, so you, you got to stay uh, on top of it. And uh, it's uh, it's just a challenge. And, I, and the one who needs to, to stay on top of it is the, the person who's organizing. So that's the person <laughs> who needs to stay on top of it. Oh, do you have enough coaches? How many kids can we coach this year? Uh, and and the succession of the organizer is the hardest part because like you mentioned, uh, people, you know, the coaches, they have just this amount of time that they can uh, give to the organization, to the community, uh, to volunteer. And they, they'll be there, they'll show up, they'll do the training, they'll show up, they'll coach, they'll have lots of fun and the kids will have lots, lots of fun, but it needs to be already all organized, show up and do the work, which is great, but it's the succession of this organizing piece that's really, really hard. And that's where we found um, over the, the years and the decades of the, the local clubs, uh, especially with the, the Jackrabbit program, which has been the longest running, there was a, a gap. There were many, many years where there was no Jackrabbit program going on here, although there's there's the infrastructure, there's the, the rental equipment, there are some coaches, but there was nobody that was organizing everybody. <laughs> and everybody, the kids and the, the adults coaching. So that's that's the hard part for community clubs. So I was gonna, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I was gonna say it's really hard to try and find someone to even even if you had someone who's willing to do the mentoring and willing to kind of onboard that next person to become the next organizer because it's such niche information that uh, organizers of club for example let's say the cross-country skiing um that they would know like what do you do for for meet entries what do you do for setting up courses how do you organize volunteers to run the food table like all these little things that have been such traditions built into your your club like how do you make sure that all continues so then it's hard to gather all that information and know how to kind of distribute it out to the next generation. And at the same time, it's so hard to even find someone who's who would be able to take that on because it's so often in smaller communities that the people who are the volunteers are already doing all the volunteering for all the other organizations in town. So it's like, okay, who has even just a tiny little square inch of space on their plates and and who can take that on? And it sometimes it's really hard to ask of people like, hey, I, we really need you to step up and be this person. And they're like, well, I already have this and this and this, but I, I guess if I have to. Um, and even, even if there is a playbook of mm -hmm. this is how it how it works, you know, the organizing part, there, there's, there's still all these little parts of it that you need to be involved in, like just weather communication because of the weather changes, then these parents communicate through Facebook Messenger, these ones through email, these ones through text messages uh, and and sometimes it's last minute and you, you, you know it's too cold to go skiing with the kids so we need to, to there's one person that still needs to do this and it's it's that's part of the challenge to finding somebody who's who says okay I'm I'm gonna do it <laughs> um so I guess the question is like, how do we break this like monumental roll up, the organizer of the of this community club into more manageable pieces for people to take on? I know, I, I mean, I know it's not the easiest thing. I, I'm not even sure I have a real answer for it. Um, aside from just anecdotally, mm -hmm. I, I used to coach, I used to coach in Kenora um, in Northwest Ontario with their rowing club there. And uh, they hired me for two summers as their summer club coach slash administrator. Um, I was lucky enough that I, I had a, a cabin to kind of hang out at. And so I was able to make those summers work out there. But I yeah, was doing the organizing, was doing the coaching. And when I uh, inevitably took this job to move to Fredericton and left, uh, the next summer they had to do like five people to replace the work I was doing because um, not everyone could kind of make that time commitment that the one person could make. Uh, one of the things that we've done here to, you know, uh... I guess, decrease the admin work. Uh, we just reached out to the local club and the provincial club, clubs, I should say, uh, to help us out. Uh, for like uh, registration, for instance, uh, Velo NB, uh, they just had a website where they could quickly create a registration website for us. 
So that really helped us uh, do our Sprockets uh, registrations. It did just send us an Excel sheet with all the registration and transfer the money. So, uh, you know, you, you can piggyback on, on, on some existing resources. Sometimes you get a look for them. Um, Skitfall, New Brunswick, uh, or Cross Country New Brunswick, they also have, uh, well, they use Zone 4, which uh, it's well known out there, uh, the timing system. But uh, we managed to, <laughs> I managed to get acquainted with the Zone 4 uh, system. And, and uh, you know, I could just reuse my registration pages year after year. So over the years, you, you kind of accumulate some tools and you reuse them, and it, it actually becomes easier. Uh, but uh, for something that's starting a program, somebody that's starting a program, uh, if they can gain access to those existing tools that, you know, if we can share those, that'd be awesome. One thing our club does, and we've only recently started doing it, and I think it's something that, one, I maybe it's just like a generational thing, but we've started using like Dropbox or Google Drive, like we're transitioning from one to the other. And it's been a blessing because I can quite literally, instead of like asking who are, like my head coach or my like organization's board for a document or something like that, I can just go in and search it on the Google Drive. And it's been something that like I, as as a young person, as a coach and someone who like has a lot of like online work, especially through online university and stuff like that, I found it very easy to just quickly go in and search something. Um, and I know it's probably been very beneficial for our organizers not to have to worry about finding a document themselves and then sending it to me. So I just a big thing that I found has really helped our club in terms of like just finding and sharing information. 100%. I know that like I'm going to date myself now, but when I first started coaching and we didn't really have a whole lot of internet and there wasn't any like Google piece. So at the pool, there was like a central room that we would have to go to that had all the documents and you had to sign out the documents. And like, I can't, again, I guess I just sound really old now as I'm going through this process. And now, now everything is online. Like it's in a Facebook group and the files are attached and you, you can pull it up. We can share it. We share it nationally. You could share it internationally or just, you know, locally kind of thing. So that, that has definitely been like a huge time saver, but an, an ability to grow and learn from each other. It doesn't matter whether it's swimming, skiing, synchronized swimming, you can really pull those pieces so much better. Um, so yeah, I echo that for sure. I think for some people saying like, oh, just use Dropbox or Google Drive is like, uh, like it's not that like revolutionary of an idea, but for some clubs, it really is. If you exactly you're talking about like all of your foundational documents might be paper, all of the registration sheets, like it might be kept old school. And so thinking about like ways to kind of break down that big role of organizer and figuring out how to how to handle this a bit easier and make it more manageable for people to do like just because um just because it's a sport club doesn't mean the people who are doing this work have to be necessarily sport experts like for example it could just be one person's job to to get those documents online which then maybe saves the coaches and organizers um five or ten minutes a day or even more down the line but that adds up over the course of the, the month, the year, and suddenly that that one task that person has done has become a huge, huge save for the rest of the club. Um, Francesca, my question for you was going to be, when you were starting up the club in Ormacto, was it just you working on it by yourself or did you have some help? So, so I initiated the, the idea kind of on my own that I wanted to do that, but they already had the pre-existing recreation program. Uh, and then I went to the local swim team that was there to try to figure out what did they have in place? But I really wanted to cut down on work on parents and the need for volunteers. So we had the added dynamic that I'm in a, it's a military town. So people are coming and going all the time. And I had asked the swim team as like, so like, what are your lessons learned? And they said, the hardest thing is just transition because someone's gonna be really good, but they're posted out in a year or they're gone, even myself. I knew that I really wanted to coach, but I needed to set myself up that I was only a substitute coach. I'm gone all the time. Even now I'm in Ottawa for another year or you're gone six months, you're in another course. Um, so finding consistency was important. So I definitely had help from the recreation department that was there, but I went in knowing that I needed to have it all outsourced or set up that it could basically function with me not around. So before I got started, I needed to have 
that plan and the research done to see what problems were the other teams in the area having to stay consistent. So I could I tried to think through that before I actually stepped off. You mentioned this a couple of times through other seasons of the podcast, but the idea of building a ship that not only you can sail, that other people can sail as well is so important. So that if you are a person, for example, who is going to be gone lots and won't be able to dedicate all your time to the program, making sure that there's systems in play for other people to be able to step in, read your, even something as simple as like knowing how to read someone else's practice plan and being like, okay, this is what we're focusing on today, or this is what we're focusing on over the course of this month. And I, and I know how to read their notes and figure out how to move them forward. And um, so that way, losing one person, even if it's for a very short period of time, doesn't make the whole system collapse. Um, it's, it's so, so key. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the challenges around um, maybe just more the coaching side of things, because we've been talking a lot about getting things organized. What have you guys been seeing? Francesca, your hand went up. Go for it. <laughs> uh, one thing that I hadn't originally kind of factored in, so New Brunswick bilingual province or Mokdo, there's a lot of French there. And when I first started, I didn't have any, I didn't intentionally hire any bilingual coaches. Um, and so that was after year one. Uh, and then going forward, I made sure to have bilingualism very prevalent, like in the posters that we were putting out, the information back to parents. We had a lot of parents who didn't speak a lot of English who were coming in posted. And I wanted to make sure that that was part of what was being included. And then at one time out of a team of eight, I only had one Anglophone on the course and the rest were Francophone. Uh, and she was going to French immersion. It was like, well, why aren't we teaching in French? You speak French, don't you? you do? Okay, great. And I have a Francophone, instructor, uh, Francophone instructor, but it just, it hadn't, it just seemed like they kept just moving to English automatically, but we had everything set up and it was there and it was like, like it was a good opportunity. So it was just, I was very surprised that it, it wasn't, it wasn't more natural to do I just kind of off the, the hook because we were in New Brunswick and then maybe with the military background, I can't put out a single email without making sure it's in French and English kind of thing that it was. Uh, so that was an extra piece that I try to be very conscious of in the community sport is that the bilingualism has worked into it. Yeah, I can't think of any any uh, concept more New Brunswick than bilingualism. <laughs> um uh, Eric and Linda, what do you what have you found either in um, in kind of like your development, your own personal development in, in, as coaches, or the development of your program? I think one of the challenge for us uh, was we had to travel to get some of the courses or attend some of the courses, and uh, there's costs related to that. You know, and uh, I think we were fortunate here the club, the local club, actually paid for travel and. We managed to send many people on, on, on courses. Some courses actually came to Karaket or close to Karaket, uh, but most of them we had to drive to Dieppe or somewhere else to, and, to attend. And, yeah, and sometimes people will think of just the cost, but also when you're in a rural area, like we're as northern as you know <laughs> can be, there's also the time constraint. So if you're asking a volunteer to go for a three hour coaching, but it's a five hour drive to get there and then another five hour to come back, that's a big commitment to ask for volunteers to do. Even if you'll be paying for the, the, for, for the expenses of the travel and the accommodation and food and everything. So it's, it's a bigger ask to, to get the, to get the training and to try to get the training uh, to come locally has been also a uh, uh, challenge because sometimes these train the trainers are used to having big groups. So so if if we put out the registration for our local coaches and then they they're like, well, there are only five res registrations and they're used to having twenty or twenty five. That's what we got. This is great. <laughs> you know, we're, we're we don't have that many. <laughs> coaches we're not big big organizations and we're not going to have these that many uh, kids going to the program because we're a small rural community and for us this is a big thing but sometimes it's a challenge and people may not be willing to travel to come and give the 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 training closer um what we've been discovering in the past two years is that there's some training opportunities that do not need to be in person. And if it's not absolutely necessary, then we can do this virtually. And then we can also, we can also 
benefit so much more because then it's it's a wider audience and there's a bigger bigger uh, sharing. sharing moment of experiences and tricks and tips and everything. So. I was, I was going to say, as the organizer of some of these courses, I completely understand why sometimes the decision has to be made about it's hard to send uh, the train the trainers, the facilitators up to different uh, locations when you have a small group. I think in New Brunswick, we're getting better about realizing like if we have five, that's amazing, especially if we, if we have a five in a northern region, that's amazing. We're sending someone. Um, also, GNB is, is pretty good usually about recognizing different uh, grant opportunities to help develop those coach coaches or coach developers. So um, there are starting to become some ways to make that more accessible for coaches. But it, I think, weirdly enough, one of the one of the biggest benefits um, has been of COVID over the last little while has been that kind of acceleration towards virtual training when people realized there were no other options. That that's what really ha we really had to do. Um, we figured out how to do it. We figured out how to do it really quickly, <laughs> and how to do it. I I would argue fairly well. Um, and uh, touching a little bit on the bilingualism uh, for us in the past to organize um, French courses was a, a super tough thing because while we do recognize we can work with smaller groups when we only have like one or two people registering for a course it's like well okay we can't really have a meaningful conversation with that with that group but we can figure out other ways but um, since going online now we can work with Quebec coaches for example and suddenly that small group is now much larger and people can access a much wider um, yeah, audience and, and kind of range of experience uh, that I find really cool and meaningful. And I think I think for some people who maybe live in larger city centers to say like, oh, I'm kind of sick and tired of virtual. I'd rather just be online. And I, I can totally understand why people are sick of sick of being online. It's been a year and a half of nothing but that. Um, but at the same time, just like you're mentioning, for some communities, this is the difference between them getting it and not getting it at all. So it's like, well, maybe it's not the most ideal situation, but we're still making it happen and people are still learning from it and benefiting from the situation. So yeah, it's, it's kind of funny either way, but. And there's the community, there's the distance piece, <clears throat> but there's also been some research factoring in uh, that mom, like mom or parents in general are more able to be involved with coaching, community coaching now, because there's more shift and there's more stuff available online because it comes back to time. If you don't have to drive or now I don't need to find a babysitter because now if, when you need to find a babysitter, that's an expense that the coaching is not covering. Um, so this, this ex, uh, accessibility is keeping more people for longer because when we looked at, you know, coaching stats, they were kind of staying until people were having kids and then it was starting to become too much of a draw. And you see now kind of extending a little bit uh, longer or as people get a little bit older and they have more demands on their time kind of thing or different demands anyway. Uh, yeah, the, the online piece and you, you're right about bringing people across the country because then uh, you just get to share so much more experience because what happened sometimes in the regions, like a lot of the centers of excellence for the sports may be in Quebec or they may be in BC. Um, so then if you want to share that expertise, uh, the athletes or then the coaches might not get to draw on it as much. Uh, but the online is definitely, I think, has opened that more and it's exposed me to more uh, great tips and tricks from other coaches I wouldn't have been exposed to before. Um, touching quickly on what you said about mothers and babysitting, um, I just want to use that opportunity to plug a grant that uh, Coach NB does have. Uh, we launched in the last year and a half, I believe, the Women to Watch grant, up to $500 uh, for women coaches towards their coach development. Um, and that could be for co uh, course fees, that could be for travel related to courses, that could be for even babysitting costs. Whatever, whatever you need it for in order for you to get those courses, uh, we are willing to support it as long as you just write us a nice little letter and, and explain why you need it. Um, that's my one little quick plug. Excellent. Yeah. I wanted to touch on the like virtual component of everything being online too. Like I know as a university student, like I, one of the requirements for my, my program was to attend a conference, a two day conference. And we didn't really have access to funding for that. It was kind of like out of our own pocket, but kind of knew it signing up. But it was still a challenge to get to the conferences, especially even in Fredericton, there's not many two-day conferences. You'd have to travel to Halifax or Quebec or somewhere outside of that region. And with COVID, I was actually lucky enough to go to the Sport Leadership Conference for free um, last year in 2020. And I was like stoked because I was going to go to it in person. but realizing I saved on all of those costs was so nice. So like, I, I kind of appreciate the online opportunities as well, even though I'm kind of in the center of New Brunswick and like 
right in the middle of one of the bigger cities, I the online shift has been really nice as well, especially with like lack of funding and stuff like that. So I, I echo that completely. The virtual component is nice, can get a little much, but it is really nice too. Um, any other thoughts on maybe some issues that we haven't touched on yet? I know we've ro been rolling through things really quickly, um, but can you think of anything like glaring that I've missed in terms of could be even basics around coaching, like dealing with parents and not feeling like you're equipped or supported by your board or anything along that side? Andrea, go for it. Um, a few of the challenges I've kind of faced in the last few years, um, I kind of coach like one age group. And then I've also coached like, which are about eight to 12. And I've also coached like high school age students. And I noticed there's a like, big difference and like what stressors in their lives. So for like older youth, um, like and high school age kids, I found that like, there's a lot of anxiety and it's very different. So some of it's centered around like relationships and like what they're going to do after high school and just like typical high school stuff. But I actually have a few kids now that I, there's like some new things coming up with them um, in terms of like anxiety and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I've never had to deal with this or it's never been such a prominent issue in this age group before. So most of the kids I've only have ever coached have been like eight to 12, sometimes younger, but um, just like, challenges in the way that I'm talking to them and changing the language I'm using to be more inclusive and more positive has always been something I've tried to do and like the coaches in my life have tried to like promote but now it's like making sure that I'm being inclusive to everyone all around. I was going to say either Eric, Linda or Francesca, have you noticed any changes through your coaching career of, of what the athletes need from you? Absolutely. I think also coming as like as a parent, uh, I notice a big difference between just the language that kids are exposed to in order to express being stressed and anxious compared to and maybe stress and anxiety has gone up or maybe their ability to express it has has come up. I'm not sure, uh, but it's definitely changed over 20 years for sure. Um, and it is something that you're dealing with more like um, in a performance sport. There is uh, a different type of um like I said, not performance anxiety, I guess, that'll come from that kind of thing by being in a team sport. It's a little different. Uh, and in saying that, I've had some really great mentors to kind of work on that sports psychology piece. Uh, so actually, Renee Matt, I like I really lucked out. One of our coaches literally has, is working on her PhD in sports psychology, like amazing. Um, so to say that she works into like every practice and I started back with competitive level, this idea of really preparing them for the show, you know, because it was a stress of the show and putting on a suit and performing and everyone. And now there's only one or two people in the water or the solo. And that, so it wasn't just practicing anymore about toe points, but there was the, the, the mental health piece that went along with performance, which when we first started or the sports psychology piece, we, we didn't really talk about much until you got to really higher level. Uh, and I see it now that we talk about it, like even down to the rec level, just because they still have a show and this is still something that they're feeling. Uh, and I think it's something that they can take with them outside the sport, whether, you know, for any stressful situation that they're dealing with. Um, as soon as you started mentioning stuff about uh, how to feel different emotions, how to put words to it, I, I knew exactly you were talking about Renee. <laughs> she, she's done a lot of great work for us in the past and helped lead different talks. And that, that has always been a big kind of driving point for her is as people can understand the language to use around different, different emotions, that can be a huge, huge step towards addressing them. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Renee, Renee is, uh, is an amazing friend of friend of coach and B. Yeah, maybe I, I can add a, a little bit to this. Um, at the recreational level, community level coaching, uh, the coaches usually have a lot less experience than performance coach where you know, they've been around. And if, uh, so some of the challenges that we had here was obviously dealing with some, some kids with issues or challenges, uh, even parents with issues and challenges. Uh, when you don't have a lot of experience at the recreational level, you want to do this for fun. To, uh, I, I found some coaches had some a hard time with that. Luckily, a lot of the people that gravitate around our club here are teachers. Uh, 
so a lot of our coaches are teachers. They're used to kids at school. They're very well equipped to deal with that. But those that are not teachers or didn't have a lot of experience dealing with kids or coaching, uh, you know, we, we, we had to, you know, uh, get some group together to discuss certain situations, to find ways to, to handle that. So that's a challenge. And uh, I find uh, equipping, it, being able to training around that, you know, I know there's the ethical uh, training that you have to take on the, uh, but there, there's, there's more than that. And, and some people have it, some people don't, right? It's, uh, so it's, it's a challenge. You, you don't get to pick your volunteers all the time. You kind of take those that are interested. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, other than doing the RCMP check there, uh, you know. There, there's the challenge of, of having kids that are in the inclusion programs at school where they have dedicated staff that accompany them during their classes. That person is not there for the recreational part. So um, the kids are want to participate, but they they have challenges that need to be supported that that can't be supported by the coach volunteer and sometimes we try to get the parents in uh, sometimes we if we're lucky we have substitute coaches that can come in and then it's it it gets to be one-on-one -on -one when you're in the group but you have an added coach that sort of tags along and that that's how we can um manage these situations where we do want the kids to participate and everybody needs to have fun but there's this kid that sometimes need the extra support the extra coaching or attention that can be a challenge when you don't expect that to be part of the group that you're coaching and when you're uh, setting up your groups so many kids but so many volunteers and then you're like oh we need another one so trying to get uh, maybe um, substitute coaches or backup coaches that are are not going to be the regular coaches but that you can plug in <laughs> different groups to try to help so that everybody can have a good experience the kids and the, the the volunteers included that can be a challenge that we're not really trained or we're not really uh um ready sometimes for that for those situations Sorry, I'm going to change the topic a little bit. Just I was thinking as everyone was talking and I was like, I, I, so I grew up, um, I got my first cell phone at 13, which is like probably just astounding to some, but I grew up with like some most technology that is out nowadays. But I know that like talking to some of the older coaches on our team, like just understanding what people use social media for and stuff like that. And even with some of the athletes I've coached, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I coach swimming. I don't think I've said that this entire podcast so far, but I coach swimming. So we're, we all, our kids are always in bathing suits, right? And there's a lot of like body image and editing photos online, sometimes with social media. And that's been a really big struggle for me over the last few years um, has been kind of talking about um, how to use social media and like, how you can change what you're seeing on social media and that's been a big shift and adjustment i had a kid tell me she was 10 she's un or sorry she's under 10 and she has a nicer phone than i do and i was like holy moly like i couldn't imagine being 10 like i was 13 and i was excited but i could only text people like social media didn't wasn't like a big thing for me but i just knowing that some of my kids now who are like 10 11 12 have snapchat and stuff like that i'm like it is something I've started to notice more, even like from the 10 year olds all the way to the high school level. I don't know if anybody else with athletes who are wearing like tighter clothing or anything like that have noticed like any sort of like body confidence challenges, stuff like that, or even just like connections online have been challenging or cyberbullying or anything like that. But that's been something I've noticed slightly, even in like personal group chats, like have all been things that I've heard come up or have like athletes have told to me. So very off topic, but I thought it would be something important to note. No, Andrea, I agree for sure. So in synchronized swimming uh, is a, a constant issue. Is it like with someone I'm growing up and you see it now, but this links in, I think a point that Eric was making is you don't, um, you have coaches coming in with all sorts of different levels of experience. So some may be kind of, they could have dealt with that before, but if they haven't dealt with it before, uh, I don't find a lot of the coach training really covers 
uh, kind of how to deal with um, some body image. So I remember taking some courses on eating disorders because that was something that was kind of plaguing uh, that was synchronized swimming for a while along with, you know, other performance sports kind of thing. Um, and definitely uh, is something that we need to make sure that we're informing our coaches and we're giving them the tools they need in order to help kids because they're they're exposed to it younger and younger and younger and you want to make sure you're setting them up for success. Um, one thing to kind of related, but to take on with the swimsuit piece, uh, from a community perspective, one thing that I found interesting is recreation. Historically, they would never go to get like nice suits or anything because these, uh, the expensive suits that they get can be two or $300 for these suits. Um, so at the first, uh, meet that my club showed up at, so we had Costco suits, uh, which were $15, but my kids were rec and because they were recreation they were the only club that had suits and everyone was totally amazed by the idea that a recreation club had the same suits and i was like well they, i got them at costco and their swim hats are from the dollar store like the, they looked like a team but you didn't looking like a team did not have to be expensive and for some reason this was a completely novel concept uh that you could still look like a team and not spend a thousand dollars per kid to get there um which was a very interesting i don't know why that was a new community way of looking at things but i wish that sometimes people thought outside the box for that um i uh, andrew i we could totally make an entire episode just talking about body image and how social media has been influ uh, influencing that especially in young girls um but coming back to what you're talking about around equipment and access to equipment especially at the recreation level i think that's that's a huge huge aspect of community coaching that uh, people have to take into account whether that is knowing that coach that uh, kids aren't always going to have the right equipment that's going to fit them or that's going to work properly you're going to work with what you have and try to make things make do with what what you can do um and sometimes there are workarounds like you mentioned like you don't have to you don't have to have the top of the line stuff to still look the part or to still participate like you can be quite creative in how you're addressing that um eric and linda i know you'd mentioned something about equipment uh, when we were talking last time, um, maybe if you want to elaborate a little bit around the equipment in, in the ski world or the biking yes. world. Uh, obviously kids grow, uh, quite fast and they sometimes change equipment every year. So it, it is a challenge for some families to, uh, you know, always be able to purchase uh, new gear. Um, here we were lucky with the local club, the, they acquired enough equipment that we could rent out the equipment for all the participants on the skiing uh, part. Um, so that way, no families had to purchase anything. Uh, we had boots in all sizes and uh, it was very cheap. So that really, um, it was a big factor, like an attract, it was attracting a lot of people to the programs just because it was so easy to to access the equipment uh, and we'd give them the equipment for the year, right? They'd just show up at the club and use their own equipment that we assigned to them for the whole year, even outside the program. So, you know, we, the, the program was really, really popular because of that. So if, if clubs are able to do that, that's the way to go. Otherwise, you know, people set up some swap or, you know, twice a year or once a year, they'll do a swap parents meet and they try to exchange equipment. And <laughs> if you're lucky, you won't have to purchase anything new that year. Uh, in the biking world, uh, it's a whole different thing. We, we didn't have any rental bikes uh, at the club, but, you know, we had the kids showing up and part of the course was, you know, uh, verifying the bike, uh, fixing the bike. Uh, so, you know, but we had some parents that, you know, they showed up with bikes that they couldn't go in the woods. Uh, it wasn't safe. So we, we had a few bikes that we could uh, loan, uh, but but that was it. Yeah, and although it's 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 called a mountain biking introduction program, the kids could go with mostly whatever bikes that they had, as long as it was safe. I mean, if if the pedals are coming off, then that's not safe. Uh, if there's no brakes on the bike, then you know yeah. we have issues with that. Uh, coming back to the to the uh, the ski uh, rental program, it, it was also helped uh, the the organization of assigning equipment was the the excellent collaboration with the local schools so the school would know 
who was registered and registration and and then the 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 there, there were a team of teachers that that are part of the coaching program that would manage to get all the shoe sizes of the kids registered in the program. And then you could sort of find out, okay, we have enough boots for these sizes, these sizes, and then try to figure out if, if everybody is, is fitted. And then it was easier for the, the properly fitting day with the poles and with the skis and everything. So, yeah, so, so obviously in, in, a, in a community program, the the more um, community collaborators you can have. So for us, it was local schools, the high school and the the, the primary. primary and intermediate uh, grade schools. And and uh, if if you can get to work together, then that's that's great. The the other thing I mentioned uh, in the prep uh, meeting is the uh, there, there is a few programs available like the uh, Jumpstart from uh, Canadian Tire. Um, we, we, we had a few families use that. Um, and I was mentioning that this should be uh, more visible uh, during the registration. Uh, you know, if you have a page, uh, a registration page, it should be written there. If you need, you know, if you need help, uh, financial help, you know, you may want to check this program and then have a link that sends you to whatever information they can have. And and deal because it's outside the program that they have to deal with that. Uh, but um, yeah, and also parents don't always want to tell the coach that they might have issues financing uh, financial to, to, uh, yeah. to be in the program. Thinking of some some rec sports that are really more expensive to participate in uh, with equipment. So yeah, yeah, that that really seems to be a big kind of thing is that feeling the need to keep up or or to have the best equipment and, and feeling like you want to participate you have to be within that in crowd i find especially with youth sport there's a really bad culture for that of especially in in some of the uh even some of like the team rec worlds like even in rec hockey um people still spend crazy amounts of money on their equipment and yet only outgrow them a couple of years later um i really liked your point about collaboration i kind of have been noticing that this is a big theme of how community sport really works. And even just like the, the sprockets and the skiing combining forces, and rather than each of them operating as single season sports, instead coming together to be a multi-sport organization and operating full year round. Um, and that way you're kind of grueling, uh, growing your pool of athletes, growing your pool of coaches, volunteers who are kind of committed to this organization, or at least this, this kind of space that they feel is theirs um, is a huge way to make uh, people feel part of the community and, and feel like this program will will be there for the long run. Um, the, the big theme that I'm kind of getting out of this conversation is that there's so many more aspects to community coaching than just the coaching. And so while parents might only see one very small kind of slice of your life when you're a coach and it, they, they just see you standing on the sidelines as a soccer coach, just watching the kids run up and, on the, and down the field in a big blob, they're thinking, oh, what's that coach doing? Like they're just standing there. And meanwhile, they don't see all the stuff that goes on in the background and um, the organizing, the equipment, the registration, the coaching itself, all the issues that come around just running a youth program or a recreation community-based program. Um, and then to see them on game day, just kind of like hanging out. Meanwhile, they're probably still just analyzing the sport and figuring out what needs to be approved on and their brains in a million different directions. Um, yeah, like people, people usually kind of get more than they sign on for, which I'm sure by the nodding that I'm seeing from this group, uh, you can definitely sympathize with that. Um, so I guess maybe our final, the final point I'll ask you guys before before we go tonight. So after all of that, you get into it, you you fall in love with the sport, and then you realize, oh my God, this is a lot more than I signed on for. What is it about community coaching that makes you stay? which I know we kind of talked about at the beginning, but maybe after some reflection, the slightly different answers. Andrew, I would say that Francesca like hit it on the head for me anyways, like putting it in words. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Of like doing it for the kids. Like I come in and like I, at the end of my day, like a long day at work some days, it's just like, okay, I have to go coach. Like you kind of like roll yourself into your car, roll yourself out of your car as you're walking down on deck. But like the minute one of those kids smiles at you and they're like, hi and they're like screaming and running up and down they're all wearing masks maybe maybe not they should be but they're not <laughs> at this point 
because you see them every day right but like there's the fact that they get so excited and they're so happy to be there and they're trying to make the best deal possible to get out of a hard practice even though you've tried to give them that big motivational speech like to me just like working with the kids and knowing that they're having like the time of their lives and they're so excited to come to practice is what really makes it for me I'm giving back to the sport but it's it's the kids yeah, for, for me, it's, uh, it's just knowing that I made a difference in, in, in a kid's life or even parents' life sometimes. Uh, you know, parents have difficulty sometimes with their kids for s- something and they, they come and participate in the programs and it, they're not the same kid anymore. They, they got the more confidence or whatever it is and it, it just changed the kid and you know, I, we, we get a lot of comments back and uh, it only takes a few kids like that and you're kind of hooked because you, you know you're making a difference. So like I said, uh, being a retired physician, physical activity is very, very important. Uh, so for me, the recreation part is where the spark starts. That's where, you know, so it, keeping it fun and and being in the club's environment for the past uh, decade, I see some of the smaller kids that are now teenagers or are young adults, and they're still practicing the sport that that got you know just this little spark that started, and then and then and then also we well we've been seeing it with the with the biking. Um, some whole families are buying bikes because this kid loves biking and this is the sport that this kid loves and wants to do and is bugging the parents, bring me in the trail. So they, it's gotten more people <laughs> physically and, active by because of the children being physically active, not just the parents watching them do the sport. So for me, that that's that's really what And some of the kids that. are ended up coaching. So we have a few kids yeah. that turned out to be coaches. Yeah. So it's it's awesome to yeah. when they join the team and you're just like, wow, this is like awesome. Like when I said, you know, those floating coaches, sometimes some of the teenagers, they want to be involved, but they they, they don't want to be the coach, they, they but they want to help. So those are like the coaching assistants that that are they just want to be there. And that's great. That's another spark that gets uh, that's like, how I started. <laughs> I was gonna say I can relate to that too. That I was, uh, my body was done with the training. I could not make myself take another stroke on the rowing boat or or stare at another pool tile in the in in swimming. But I knew I wasn't ready to leave my teams yet. So I was like, well, this is this is my avenue to stay with them for a bit longer. So that like uh, that the coaching the the happiness is contagious. So you take it on with you, and then my personal coaching mantra is that our uh, mantra that it, you know, like I've been successful. If I can check in with you in 10, 15 years from now, and you're still active, and it doesn't matter if you're you maybe you've picked kind of like a, a different sport, but you just realize that it's not. Uh, you don't have to be perfect at something in order to continue with sport. Uh, which I think is really important if they can kind of take that into their lives. And that sport really builds that mental resilience piece. And if we look at, you know, military families and they're moving around all the time, it's a connection. You can show up and say, hey, I know how to play soccer and you can just pick up and it doesn't matter where you are. Or I can swim or synchronize swimming or uh, any sport, biking, skiing. But then you, as you move around, it kind of gives you that connection to fit in with the community when you show up. Uh, and I really like being able to, to give that to kids. And then the parents piece, uh, one thing that's really fun, usually at the end of the year, uh, we'll always have the kids teach their parents a routine. So then they do the routine uh, with their parents in the water. And we always get such awesome feedback. And, you know, they'll come back and like I've had, you know, mom's dads be like, this is the best memory I've had with my kid is them having to coach me synchronized swimming and then us have to do the link down the pool kind of thing. And it's there's so much happiness that comes out of that. It's really great. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking for almost an hour now and we, I mean, sorry to everyone at home, but like just the smiles on our faces, I feel like is like incredibly contagious. Like the more we've been talking about community coaching, the more, the more and more we keep laughing and smiling. And I, I, I think that speaks volumes to how we feel about uh, this as a pastime. Um, 
because everyone has to figure out how to spend their free time somehow and and why not uh add a little joy to someone's life um but on that note i will cut us off because i know we'll keep going for hours and hours otherwise thank you very much for being here tonight and talking to uh, myself and to the coaches of New Brunswick about why community coaches are important in our system and uh, maybe some of the things you're seeing, how we can be improving on the system. If you are a community coach who's listening at home and thinking, oh, I really relate to this, um, feel free to send me an email, ashley at coachnb.ca. I'll include it in the show notes uh, so that you can tell me about what's going on in your community. If you're looking for resources, if you're looking for support, um, the beautiful thing about sport and especially at the community level is that everyone is here to lift each other up and and share and collaborate. Uh, there are no secrets. Maybe at a performance level, you start to get people who are a little bit more secretive and more territorial about how they do things. But the community level, it, everyone's here to, to kind of make it better. Everyone's excited when other people are participating in the sport because that means they have more people to play with. So yeah, so if you're looking for some support, feel free to send us an email and we'll try and connect you with someone who might have an answer for you or might be able to offer you some of that support. Um, and and yeah, thanks again for listening. Um, we'll be back in the next two weeks uh, with our next episode. And until then, get to practice.